0: Each and every Sunday we gather to worship, but why do we worship the way that we do? I'm Rebecca Garrett Pace, and this is The Day After Sunday, a look at the why behind the worship. Good morning. Happy New Year. Hi, Phil and Mitchell.
1: Hey, Rebecca. Happy New Year. New Year, indeed. New Year, new you.
0: (laughs) New Year, same me. I don't know about y'all. Uh, <laughs> right. But yes, so That's welcome, yeah. everybody. Um, if you're listening to this, we've taken a couple weeks off, so welcome back. Thanks for joining us again in 2022. Um, we have not met since we had uh we met i think after advent force so we had christmas eve and then we had the sunday after christmas and then we had epiphany and then yesterday so, so
2: nothing's really happened since the last time we right just
0: just like kind of run-of-the-mill stuff um only mitchell's and my f- two favorite sundays of the year happened uh, <laughs> so yeah and so then christmas. yesterday it's do not what? christmas no it's not christmas
2: so what you got to clarify then
0: well, well one of them is baptism of the Lord? Mitchell said that yesterday. It's a it's a sneaky good Sunday. It's one of our favorites. An Epiphany. An Epiphany, yeah. Yeah,
2: Phil. So. I'm just clarifying <laughs> for all the people who maybe aren't aren't in the know, you know.
1: Both of those are in the top ten.
0: Yeah, top five for me. Um,
1: wow. Well, good. What else is okay? Now, what else is in the top five?
0: That's it. Bagpipes. Pente-
1: Pentecost. <laughs>
0: Just kidding. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. For me, let's see. My top five Sundays would be in no particular order. I don't know that I would rank these within the five. Um, Easter, Baptism of the Lord, Epiphany, Pentecost, um, and World Communion.
2: Hmm.
0: So what about you, Mitchell?
1: Hmm. Epiphany, Mm -hmm. Ash Wednesday, not a Sunday.
0: Not a Sunday, but but yes.
2: Like, spoken uh, like a true four, right there,
1: right? Pente- <laughs> Pentecost, <laughs> for sure. Uh, All Saints mm. and Commitment Sunday. Okay. <laughs> spoken
2: like a true senior pastor, there. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's that funny. yes, I I hear that. All Saints gets a, an honorable mention for me, for sure. Phil, do you have do you have favorite Sundays? I don't know that I do, i, spoken
2: I do spoken like love, a nine. I know, right? I do love Pentecost. Um, I'm a big fan of Pentecost Sunday. And
1: I could see, I could see the Sunday after Pentecost also being really good.
2: Okay, but then
0: again, okay. Ascension Sunday is really. I, I, I do don't... love a
2: good Ascension Sunday. It's a great uh, story. Oh, but
0: what, what about Palm Sunday, y'all? <laughs> uh, we tease because we love Phil. It's all right.
2: Palm Sunday, maybe not the too many too many weapons being flung around by children beating yeah. people with palms it's, it's, <laughs> it's like chaos for fast. sure but it, we digress
0: but yes, so anyways, uh, if you have, if you didn't join us yesterday um, online, you can still do that. We actually have a new way that you can watch and worship with us. So we have Facebook and YouTube, which we've had for a while, and then you can also um, worship live just right from our website, wrumc.org live. And Phil, that was a big project for you and Dexter over the last couple of weeks, right?
2: Yes, we spent a lot of time on uh, Zoom calls. Actually, I think it was actually on Riverside, just like where we're actually recording this now, but uh, trying to figure out all the details and get it worked out through Vimeo and getting it pushed to our website and figuring out chat and how do we... Yeah, the whole thing. It was uh, it was all kinds of fun times. And so we... Yeah, we're, we're, we're on the website and hopefully over the next couple of months we'll start migrating people to the website yeah Um, we'll still have Facebook and YouTube available but the idea being we really want to keep things easy and accessible and it's way easier to push people to hey go to WRUMC.org slash live rather than hey log into Facebook search for White Rock or hey go to our YouTube channel which is like YouTube.com slash AEQZ I mean it's yeah you know like sound sign
1: right right, not to be confused with WRUMC.org slash live right
0: Different. well that is the same word <laughs> i mean i think i think you can't have both of those pages active at the same Uh-oh. time let's just clarify
2: that true it's a true statement there
1: <laughs> watch live and live local. we, Ooh,
2: we did we not really think through that whenever we created that slug but uh anyway it is now wumcorg slash live so
1: i like there it, it is. i think it works yeah good job thanks
0: anything anytime i think I think a lot of people over the last two years have realized the truth of this anytime you make a technological leap it's going to take so much work on the front end that nobody sees and then if it comes off great then everyone pr- sings your praises and if there are glitches then everyone is on your case so well in all, it's really uh, hard
2: since this is kind of the behind the scenes and the why behind the worship the reason we're doing this too is because we love when you know we have we actually split pretty evenly between youtube and facebook um yeah. in some weeks it's one and some weeks it's the other that has the majority but it's pretty similar um and so you might think well why would you try to pull people away well th- there's benefits to both of them youtube has mm-hmm. better quality facebook mm-hmm. has a better chat f- feature typically yep. the, the, the yep. more of our people engage in the chat um and so i actually usually try to try to push people toward facebook which this may be the only time you hear me say that um <laughs> because i do think that the the chat's important right that's the mm-hmm. engagement piece that ca- helps keep us connected um, the benefit of this is that at the beginning, whenever you log in, or whenever you you go to wimc.org slash live, uh, there's a, a pop-up that asks you for your email address. And mm-hmm. and the big part is, is if you don't chat on, a, on our live stream, we have no idea who you are. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a big part of who we are as a church is about building community. And so if we yeah. don't know who you are, like some people love the anonymity and that's, that's fine. But some people like are looking for that sense of community. And so by simply just putting in your email whenever you, uh, pull up that website. It allows us to know who you are, and then we're not going to bombard you if you don't be, don't want to be bombarded, right? Like, don't right. think that, but it just gives us the ability to, to establish a relationship, and, you know, I talk up and down about how I think that's the heart of discipleship is relationship, so um, that's the big piece of it.
0: It is, and I think that's also why we try to say, you know, we, we do sometimes say, hey, watch us online, but more often than not, I'd say probably like 90% of the time, we say, worship with us, um, and that's, that language is really important to me because language sets the course of our actions and anybody who doesn't believe that, right, uh, just needs to talk with somebody who has a disability or has a learning difference or, um, anything that, that is a label that could define you when you, when you use language to define the relationship as person first, um, instead of like, uh, label first or, uh, action like inactive in action so saying watching worship is different from worship with that's a really different action Absolutely. um so that was just a little sidebar but i think that's why it's so important that we say you know because we were online only yesterday which a lot of people might say oh man that's a step backwards but it doesn't have to be right when we say worship with you can be just as present <laughs> Um, worshiping with us on our website as you can in person. It's different, but you can be just as present in the community of God.
2: It's back to the quote, the, the Jim Keat quote. The, virtual is not the opposite of real. It's the opposite of physical, right? So mm-hmm. it's still a real experience. Exactly. It's just not a physical experience in the same way that we're used to being physical with one, or like present to one another other physically. So.
0: It's a lived live experience. There you go. <laughs>
2: it's now WRUMC.org slash live live. Live live. Live live live. Lives.
0: Live worship live I li- really don't live. go to that website. Live. <laughs> live. <laughs> That's not a website. That would give you an error code real fast. That's right. That would be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um but yeah, so I mean, if if we want to just jump into a little bit of uh conversation about yesterday's worship, uh it was baptism of the Lord and Mitchell um brought us into this. We actually had two gospel readings, which doesn't often happen. Really? Um Usually the first reading is, as I've talked about before, um, it's from the Old Testament, one of the prophets, or one of the Psalms, or um, from the Torah, or it's from the New Testament, but it's not a gospel, it's an epistle or a letter. Yesterday we had Gospel of John, chapter 1, and then we had Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, and oh, how different those two gospels are in their first chapter.
1: (laughs) Very different. Very different. Yeah. Um... I love, I love the baptism of the Lord, and we'll talk about this in a minute, um, because it has it feels the same like the same story. There's not a ton of deviation between Mark, Matthew, and Luke, um, but the subtle differences are 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 really important. Um, but Mark's is so we talked about this in Pastor Bible City. It's so odd what Mark focuses on and what he, in the, what the author, uh, uh, just kind of glosses over. Like the very specific details as one of our our participants pointed out, like, why is Mark so concerned with, uh, what John the Baptist is wearing and eating versus (laughs) like, okay, Jesus was baptized, God said this, and then Jesus immediately like left the river and and was driven into the wilderness, uh, Mm -hmm. by the spirit. Um, and so there's this kind of like kind of start stop kind of feel to Mark's uh, account that like gets kind of flowery at the beginning and then all of a sudden like, bam, we're like shot out of a cannon and Jesus mm-hmm. is now immediately doing this and immediately going there. And, uh, and it's just this really kind of beautiful way of thinking about um, how Mark is n- not preoccupied with how Jesus arrives at the river. Light. But really, really, as I said in my sermon, uh, the entire Gospel of Mark can be. Uh, the the end is at the very beginning, which is where God claims um, Jesus as uh, as God's Son and gives Jesus this identity that is um, really the uh, the entire Gospel hinges on this identity, right? And so yeah. I I'm. Um, i particularly enjoy uh the mark text because it is it is both abbreviated and uh, odd what what the author is like uh trying to trying to reveal to the reader
0: totally yeah no i i agree and i actually wrote down something similar while you were preaching this you know it's mark feels like to me it was written in a hurry um it was like, okay, I gotta get this down. My brain is too full. I have to just like jot down everything I can possibly remember. And I I envision the draft of Mark. If it were written in current day with like pen and paper, it would have like cross outs and scribbles and arrows coffee, back up
1: and like Coffee stains all coffee over. Coffee stains,
0: it. sure. Yeah. And like full like ear, you know, dog eared pages where it was like, Okay, I need to come back to this and revise it. And it was just it has this kind of freshness and energy. And you're right, it does have a very Interesting way of what details the author thinks are important. Like, John the Baptist ate bugs and honey for his sustenance, (laughs) which is disgusting.
1: (laughs) Which is weird. (laughs) I mean, John the Baptist is. John the Baptist (laughs) is. uh, Talking about top fives, John the Baptist is a top five weird, the weirdest characters. If I made a weirdest characters list of the Bible, John the Baptist is like definitely in there. He's a strange cat. Really? He's Come his,
0: on. He's a very strange cat. I, I. You don't. I haven't. I haven't thought think deeply about this. John the Baptist
1: this. would be in the top five. I mean, there are some really weird people in the Bible. There's some really sure. weird people. But John the Baptist is like, he's definitely, he's definitely one of the ring He's, a,
2: he's a bit of an odd duck. That's true.
0: I yeah, maybe maybe I would say. He's definitely not one of the most messed up characters in the Bible. I no, think no, no. He doesn't, he doesn't fit that. No. But yeah, as far as like quirkiness goes, for sure. Yeah. Um, no,
1: I'm not saying yeah. like he has like some like, you know, uh, <laughs> mental health issues that he needs to work through or anything like that, because there's clearly some of those characters, too. I'm saying that like, he is, he's just odd. He's just an odd he's an eccentric, odd
0: duck, eccentric, sure. yeah. right?
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, Phil, you're,
0: you're smirking over there. What John are you the eccentric,
2: <laughs> John the eccentric Baptist. But so but I have the a reason,
1: Phil, go okay. ahead. Do you want to tell well, me the reason why we have locusts and honey in the text? I,
2: well, I wasn't going to tell that. I was going to tell a ridiculous story that I have about John the Baptist, but.
1: Okay. Well, please.
2: So. So, one time, um, so I was a religious studies major, and so when I went back home in college to my home church, it was always kind of like, uh, oh, Phil's back. And sometimes I would go and preach and stuff, but like uh, it was, you know, it's like a little 100 person church. It's not like it's a big church. And so it was kind of this this deal of like, Phil's back home. And so one day, one of our lay leaders was preaching, and he was, I think he was preaching on this text, and uh, he reads that part about John the Baptist and the locusts and the honey and wearing camel hair and the whole thing and he you know he goes through it da, 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 and then all of a sudden he kind of stops and he's like this John the Baptist character you know he's just so well you know he probably looked a lot like Phil and I was like <laughs> rude hi, hi everyone good to be back home glad I could be joining you and be used as an example in oh, in so anyway I'm that's eccentric that's all
1: I'm John the Baptist
2: I mean that maybe that's why I take a uh, issue with you guys calling him the strange one <laughs>
0: I'm fine well it's fine it's all fine
1: the reason he's strange, or or the text tells us this, is because it's all about it's all about differentiation, right? It's it's setting uh, a context for Jesus's ministry to be started here and not there, right? And and so you mean
2: not like a big old feast table versus like
1: yeah, where, where everything's and polished and shiny and. Uh, you know, people sitting around the table are are sons and daughters of powerful people, and uh, as opposed you know, to
2: not having a table,
1: pretty exactly. And so you just the 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 context of Jesus's baptism and where it takes place in the Jordan and not in near the temple and and with people who are desperate for change in their life and not people who think they have it uh, all figured out. And like, you know, we, we're John the Baptist doing it and not like the, uh, a Sadducee or, or a high priest doing it. I, you know, like those are, those are really important for us to pay attention to in a baptism of the Lord Sunday, because it, it speaks to, um, the broader identity that Christ has given. Right. Because how we interpret or hear our identity who we're around and where we kind of come to understand who we are, like um, the the setting and the context of that has so much to do with the actual message itself. So like, as Rebecca said, language is important. Language Mm -hmm. is very important. So is a uh, social location of mm-hmm. uh, of events, right? And God choosing to make um show up in that way in that time in that place with John the Baptist is uh, is says something about about the divine work of of God in the world. and so you know, I think it's 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 odd, but it also is really important um because. It's really the only Jesus that we know. We don't have a Jesus that shows up in other places. We have a Jesus that comes out of this kind of odd experience in the wilderness with being baptized uh, with a bunch of people that are desperate for uh, change in their life. And that's a really Mm -hmm. beautiful thing.
0: Something that strikes me, and we keep coming back to this, you know, theme within a theme of today, which is language, is if you if you read the, the gospel accounts of Jesus' baptism, right, and if you want to do that, if you're listening, it's Mark 1, and then it's Matthew and Luke, each in chapter 3. Um, but you get a couple of very slight differences, Mitchell, like mm-hmm. you alluded to earlier. Um, one that sticks out to me is the directional language. So Luke and Mark both have God saying to Jesus, you are my son. Mm-hmm. And then Matthew, you get a more God talking to the crowd um, for the crowd's benefit, saying, this is my son, my beloved. And so that's, a, that's such a small difference, but I think each one is so powerful. Mitchell, like you were talking about in this discussion of acceptance and identity, um, that we need both. We need each, right? We need God mm-hmm. to say, you know, you are my beloved, you specifically you, and also to talk on behalf of us to others and say, you know, this is my beloved child. Treat them how you would treat me. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Matthew um, Matthew has a very important job in in the gospel right writings. It's to help uh, um, the religious uh, religiously affiliated readers make the connection between. The god they know and the god and how god is now revealing god's self in the world and we need to remind one another of that like that is um that is an important role of community in discerning how god is showing up and how the spirit is moving we have to point one another to it because often we will overlook it and god taking direct action in the Mat- Matthean account is um, is spurs us to take direct action too, right? Mm-hmm. And if we're modeling our own baptismal uh, covenants and our own sacrament of baptism around Jesus's experience here, then I think it is always important to remind the congregation in the midst of a baptism that this child or this mm-hmm. person uh, mm-hmm. is beloved. And it is our responsibility to remember that, just like yep. you have God kind of declaring it of Jesus to those who are gathered around Jesus when he's baptized, which doesn't happen. It's not John the Baptist and Jesus alone, which you know is really important for us to remember. This happens within a broader community of people, which... You know I make the that that's my biggest um thing about the sacraments is that they happen in community, and I do all I can to ensure that my when I you know baptize someone that there is the community is present now that's not always been the case, but that's the goal we strive for because baptism is a covenant of community
0: mm-hmm. and then we get John who doesn't really have a direct account of Jesus' baptism. He just comes in and says, like, I testify, I'm not the light. The one that comes into the world is coming, and God is coming, and God is here, and God is the light, and I'm not the light, but the light is God, and God was here before, and you're like, oh, my dear Lord. So John's the exact
1: opposite hard. of Mark. John, exactly. If Mark's writing on, you know, uh, napkins and uh, and whatever he can grab and scribble together. John
0: John's is, writing in, like, full calligraphy.
1: Yeah, and he's sitting there, uh, either. I mean, he seems sometimes to have an altered state of mind, and uh, you know, <laughs> candlelight, and he's he's really foreign out in his uh, in his expression of the gospel.
0: Yeah, I have to say it was challenging to read that scripture, um, but I I chose it because it was such a contrast to the Mark. I think it's so yeah. cool. Um, the first the first chapter of John. Being this sort of like epic introduction to the gospel story. Like um, the beginning of Star Wars. Exactly. It's the scrolling text. Yes, that's dun, a great. Dun,
1: dun, dun. <laughs> you could play well, that while you read the Gospel of John, the first chapter, and it would, that would be amazing.
0: That would honestly <laughs> help it be more understandable as well. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, are y'all ready for some big exciting news? You know Click how?
1: The
0: button, Phil. <laughs> no, not yet.
1: Not yet. You oh, know oh, how
0: um, every every week on this podcast I say if you have a question about the why behind the worship, send us an email. Um, and I check the worship email, and I check it and I check it, and usually all I get is Apple telling me my storage is almost full. Um, but a couple of weeks ago, we got our first question about worship. <laughs> Number it's a big nine. deal. Yes. <laughs> okay, we ready for this? We are ready. This is from Melissa. She says, in lots of other churches, the call to worship is either an opening song as people are making their way to their seats, or maybe a small bit of scripture, an exhortation, something has having to do with the sermon. I'm curious if what we do as the call to worship at White Rock is something that's unique to us, or if other churches use it. So I love this question. I think there's a lot there, um, and it opens up this, this notion of the why behind one of the standards that we use at White Rock, which is the call to worship. So, um, for example, yesterday, and many times, it starts with sort of this language of this is the day that God has made or this is the place we find ourselves in. It's sort of a grounding in the moment kind of language. And then we end with you are welcome here you're loved, accepted, and called. Let's worship God together. Um, and so, I I did some reading on this in addition to what I already know, and it's really interesting how wide um, call to worship's run the gamut. <laughs> that was a poorly constructed sentence, but you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, in depending on what style of church, in more contemporary circles, um, the you know Melissa was exactly right. It is the call to worship is. Is really just an entrance point, so it's an opening song, or it's a um, like a, a focus verse for the day. If you go toward more formal or more liturgical churches, it's actually much even more flowery than we use. Um, I know some of you might think my calls to worship are pretty wordy, but you have no idea. If you go to like an Episcopal or a Catholic church, the calls to worship get even more formal. um, But something that stays constant, and I think this is the defining characteristic of a call to worship, it comes back to this notion of directional language so what uh who's talking to whom right and we have some parts of worship that are very clear a prayer is typically people talking to god right and a sermon is pastor or leader or shepherd talking to the flock or the people or the group and so there's this very clear direction and a call to worship is um people to people it's a calling to attention and it is not, um, it's not based on hierarchy. Uh, it's not like necessarily that the pastor has to do it or a layperson has to do it. It is a, a voice of a person calling the group of people into a place of focus. And so whether that's musical or spoken or um, sung or whatever, it's this notion of we're taking a moment at the very beginning of worship to clear our minds, to set aside whatever we've brought in with us, um, and to focus on the worship at hand. So it's yeah. sort of this, like, and I'm, I mean, I'm curious what you all think of that. And if any examples come to mind, there aren't many times in our daily lives that we do this, that we set aside time specifically to set the space
1: for yeah, something else. Yeah, I think setting the space is a great thing. Um a great way to think of it, um, or setting the the boundaries or parameters, mm-hmm. not in mm-hmm. a, I mean, very porous kind of way, but like, we're essentially um, throwing up uh, a shared tabernacle, right? Like we are creating this space, we're uh, making it together uh, for an hour, right? And it, And this is why it can be done anywhere. And, um, and so the notion that, um, you know, we have to call one another into this space to do it is really important. And I love the idea that it's people talking to people. There's the informal people talking to people, bit, which is important, right? But it is not worship.
0: Right. right. And
1: so it, it helps us, um, pay attention to the task or mm-hmm. the job or the work that we have to do together in this shared time and time space that's limited right we, we it's temporary it's not you know we're not in worship 24 right. um, 7 I
0: think something that I value so much about corporate worship is that we especially at White Rock but in many other contexts we do create this space of transition points um, and I want I wish my life had more of those right mm-hmm. instead of just like you know, we can create these rituals when we wake up. I think a lot of people have waking up rituals. They, you know, they read a devotional or they have their cup of coffee or they take a a hot shower or something like that. And it's that transition from one state into another. Mm -hmm. That's what the call to worship does for us. We go from the state of living, rushing, being, getting out the door to the state of being aware and present in worship. Um, And then the hope is, right, that we can carry a little bit of that awareness beyond. But I just find myself wishing that life had more of those, like, transition points.
2: So this is really interesting because we just, so Mitchell, you talked about it being a tabernacle, um, which in John 1, ironically, Mm -hmm. right, talks about, like, God coming and dwelling among us. And in the Greek, that's literally pitching a tent, right, tabernacling, tabernacle. Yeah, that's what I was
1: after throwing up, like, uh, I meant pitching, yeah.
2: Yeah, totally. And then the same thing, right? We talked about Mark 1 being this like setting of the stage or a setting apart. And so in some ways, this service, like you move from Epiphany Sunday, which is a like a revealing of the divine love of God to all the people, right? Beyond just the Jewish people in the, in the Epiphany, to then we have the setting of the stage in baptism of the Lord. And then next week we're going to have, um, <clears throat> well, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But then after next week, we get into this like year-long Engagement together in this like unfolding story, right? The series uh, is called unfold, and so we we've essentially just talked about how we have. This has been our like call to worship for the year, almost. Like this service as a whole was like this this meta call to worship as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, as we engage in this like year long journey together, so I was just that's I love how all this like got really pulled together in this really awesome way.
1: It's really yeah, that's yeah. really neat. Yeah. So one of the things that I find really interesting is we have like as you mentioned, Rebecca, we have this like people-to-people moment in worship, and then we have kind of uh, preacher or teacher moment to the congregation. Um, And then I think it's like through the sacraments that we have God Mm -hmm. to us, right? So the question we should ask is, okay, where in our worship does God speak Mm. to us? And I think that it's not just contained in the sacraments, but I think that's where we say this is most revealed certainly. to us, or we're going to, this is where we expect God yeah. to show up, right? And um, it certainly can happen in moments of silence. It can happen through mm-hmm. hymns, right? It can happen through, um, you know, anthems. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can happen at any point. But I am reminded that, like, we have these kind of carved out, enhanced mm-hmm. rituals, mm-hmm. sacraments, really that we say this is like where God speaks to us and reminds us of the promises God's made to us and reveals God God to us, reveals God's self to us, or challenges us, or right. And so all of the elements are vital in 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 setting the stage for worship. We need we need mm-hmm. it all.
0: Yeah. Right?
1: And the the call then is really not just something we do to just Add two minutes to the worship service,
0: right? Right, and I, Phil, you said it great. I love how all of this is is sort of very meta, and it's like tying together even in ways that we That's what I was that, that like we so didn't. Meta. Uh, yeah, we didn't even mean. But so one of the side effects um, of having to go online only is that we did not get the leadership of the choir and the folk band yesterday, um, which I I so miss when we can't have those voices in leadership. Um, but that to say, the the anthem that the choir was supposed to do got pushed. Hopefully we'll be able to do it sometime. Um, it's really, really cool anthem. It's called Come to the Waters. Um, but instead, I chose a solo to sing for the offertory. Um, and I'm just, I'm reflecting on this this notion of God speaking to us. Because in that song, even self-contained, you have a person, the singer, reflecting on a little too much. Today was a little too much for me. You know, I, I failed a little too much. I feel like I'm swimming alone. I don't have anybody. Oh, but wait, there's this voice that's calling me, that's speaking to me. Come and rest. Come and find healing. Come and find belonging. Um, and that really is sort of this microcosm of what we get in baptism. And I love, Mitchell, what you said, which is so important. Yes, baptism is um, a cleansing and it is a dying and rising with Christ we do believe that foundationally and theologically um, that the the going down into the water and the coming back up is a symbol of being you know dying and being resurrected with Christ and also it's this identity building thing that's so sure. crucial yeah. to us hearing God in our lives
1: yeah I mean we can't, I just feel like we have to emphasize that, maybe even overemphasize that, so that we can kind of um, move beyond the cleansing um, motif in baptism. Because, you know, we baptize little babies. And uh, it is, um, there's, I, I don't care what sort of theological position people have. I will never be convinced that, like, a baby needs to be, like, uh, more than anything than just a baby, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I don't think there's something fundamentally wrong with a baby.
2: Totally depraved.
1: Uh, Right. Yeah, totally. And so, um, you know, I, I just, I think it's important for us to know that that's, uh, you know, that that child is already claimed by God. It's not something that God reserved for only the baptized babies in the world. But um, but it is a recognition by the community mm-hmm. and a opening of our ears uh, and and hearts to uh, to God's proclamation of that.
0: Something that's helpful right. to me to reconcile these, what can seem like conflicting images, right? Because I agree. I, I don't think that... Um... I think original sin is incredibly problematic, and so I think when we when we elevate infant baptism, we we have to, along with that, elevate this notion of relationship, not only um, like confession and forgiveness of sins. Um, right. I also think that the <laughs> this what's helpful to me in sort of reconciling that is not just a cleansing, but sort of an unclogging, right? So when we take a shower or when we like go to the doctor and clean our ears out, right, which is disgusting, I hate earwax, it's one of the things that grosses me out the most, um, it's, it's not because we've done anything wrong, it's just a product of being human, right, that sometimes we need cleansing. And so that's another helpful way for me to think about this notion of baptism. It's not necessarily the depraved and deprived, um, but it's also just this cleansing that we need from simply being human in this world. Um, and, and that is where Jesus comes in. Like Jesus was a carpenter for the first 15 years of his life. You know, we assume he started to work when he was a teenager with his dad and carpentry is dirty work. You get sand, you get like sawdust in your eyes and your ears and your nose, right? In your lungs. And you need this cleansing, even as you're doing this hard and beautiful work. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yep. I have rendered you speechless.
2: No, I think it's a really good word. That it's just a good reminder that part of being human is being messy, you know, and that sometimes yeah. there is this purification aspect that's needed. And so often we think of it as something that, oh, well, what have I done mm-hmm. wrong? Needs to be purified, as opposed to again, you can't. Right. How can you argue that a child is? Um, <laughs> my my little one is home today, so
1: I didn't say three year old. Oh. So <laughs> Once they hit three,
2: they're get them out of here. Um,
1: I, I didn't say three-year-olds don't need to repent. I'm just saying babies. <laughs> well, so we, we talk
2: absolutely. We talk a whole lot about community, and the reality being is that you know we personalize this so much. Sometimes purifications because of needs to take place because of what somebody else has done. Mm, you know, um, yeah. that it's not our own actions always that need purifying, but because of what's happened to us. Mm-hmm. Which we could do a whole real interesting conversation about Genesis three and you know original sin versus original blessing, original sinned against yep. and original blessing and yeah, there's a whole thing there. Totally. But but yeah, there's just a really there's a really good word there about that. This this.
1: I think the challenge here, though, is always going to be if we as um, and this is where baptism of the Lord comes in. You know, if we we do not we do not rebaptize in our tradition and uh, if we baptize uh, infants uh, chances are we don't remember uh, the the cleansing um, effects of baptism and while it may symbolize that it certainly isn't a personal uh experience that we can relate to in any way at least in that moment so we have to create uh secondary or um or rituals that point us back to it right So that's why Baptism of the Lord Sunday is really important because we may have trauma or sin or a clogging of sorts, right? Or we may become messy and we need to be reminded that there is this kind of cleansing, uh, washing over, uh, you know, um, removal of that from a spiritual place. Uh, not a, not necessarily a physical one or a mental one, but at least spiritually, we can get there. Um, that allows us to uh, have sort of this like ongoing access to the. Clinic. Um, and and so I agree that I think baptism can be that for us. And I and because I'm so such a big believer that God's the primary actor in that that we can't, like, do it again. Um, we can't be claimed again by God because uh, once is enough. <laughs> um, it does it does mean that we have to be creative about how we invite people to the baptismal mm-hmm. waters over and mm-hmm. over again, which I think I said on the Sunday sit-down that we need to kind of find ways to remember our baptism more often and what would it look like, you know, to put the... Um, Put the font out—a font out—in the narthex anytime we do a baptism to help people remember their own baptism, and you know. So I think there's there's ways avenues for us to do this. It's just, um, but it is important, you know. I guess all I'm saying is remembering our own baptism through the lens of Jesus's baptism is vitally important to our ongoing work as uh, as followers
0: of yeah. Christ. and there's a there's a slight but important difference too between. Um, Because there are two different rituals, remembrance of baptism versus reaffirmation of baptism. Um, And they're so close that often we do kind of use them interchangeably. But I do think...
2: I think I slipped up and said that in the the, the children's time, actually.
0: Well, because what we did yesterday was a remembrance Um, A reaffirmation, much like, you know, if you have been in a long-term relationship and you decide to reaffirm your vows to each other, you're already married, you're not getting married again, but what you're doing is you are intentionally and Mm -hmm. intensely revisiting the exact language that you used at the time, those vows that you took or your family took on your behalf, um, And I think that's really important too, to find these moments of reaffirming and revisiting the language and the powerful language of, you know, to resist sin and oppression in the world in whatever ways they present themselves. And also, Mitchell, as you said, I love this notion, and Phil, you did in your children's time. How can we remember our baptism in lots of tiny, beautiful ways, whether that's every time you wash your hands or every time you drink a glass of water? You know, I think both of those things have such a powerful effect on us.
1: Yeah, and and usually, um, you know, at the beginning of the new year, there's a reaffirmation of baptism but with baptism on the Lord Sunday, and before that, there's usually, uh, you know, a New Year's Day. Um, you know, uh, in the Methodist kind of history, we have this like covenant service, right, right? where we remember our covenant together as, as a body of Christ in particular as Methodist. And so there's a reaffirmation of our membership vows, which happens around New Year's day. And so like, there is a, there's a pathway here for us to begin a new year grounded in both the, the knowledge that we are both. Sinners and still beloved by God and in need of God's grace and our commitment to the community, which I am you know. I think go hand in hand um and so yeah like that's the more formal uh way of entering into the baptismal waters again but i do yeah i do think that the the sprinkling of mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. remembrance is important mm-hmm. as well throughout mm-hmm. the year i see what you did there <laughs>
0: This is this is a great conversation. I think we could keep going on this, but I know that we're um, approaching time. So I do want to shift just a little bit. And we'll talk – we can get into this a little bit more next week too. Um, but, Phil, you mentioned that we are about to embark, so not this coming Sunday but the Sunday afterwards, on a year-long journey together, series, if you will. Um, I want to hear – because the three of us plus Dexter um, have worked – a long time on this Unfold series um, and the the subtitle is A Year of Discovering Story. So I want to just hear if you have a, a few thoughts Mitchell or Phil um, about what that process is and what your hopes and your expectations are for this year-long journey that we're about to take together.
1: I feel like Paul Hollywood and British Bake Off <laughs> where they give, like, some, like, vague instructions before they begin right, the technical right. challenge of baking.
0: Read all the directions.
1: Um, <laughs> go slowly and pay attention to temperature. Um, but in some ways, I think, like, it will require an engagement. and it, An individual will need to stay engaged throughout the whole year to kind of have the, like, experience we're hoping right so like that doesn't mean that new folks can't pop in but like wherever we whenever we're invited into this year-long worship series i think it's going to require engagement and um and so like i hope that people can uh, find some time for themselves engage with this this worship series um on a on a ongoing basis and and work that into their rhythms of their life, whatever that looks like, because I think the the payoff will be great, and the the sh- shaping and sharpening of our faith and discipleship journey will become um, will become evident uh, throughout the year. That's really vague. I mean, <laughs> we didn't technically talk about what we're actually doing. We can get more
0: into that later. Uh, yeah, I, but I love that. That's yeah, a good word.
1: I think, But I think that, that it's going to require us to be kind of engaged on a
0: regular basis with it. Phil, any thoughts?
2: Yeah, I, I, so last night was the premiere of season two of The Righteous Gemstones, which if you haven't watched it on HBO, first of all, beware. But second of all, it's just – it's hilarious. Um, and people who work in the church world, it just hurts a little bit. But anyway, so <laughs> the interesting thing about a series is, you know, like when you watch a show that has like eight, ten episodes or whatever – you could, if you started in week five of the show, like there's something really incredible about the show, but you might not understand all of it because you don't know the context or the characters or, or the kind of the whole mentality of it. Um, we don't typically ask like a whole lot of our people, you know, like as far as like, um, <laughs> we do, like we ask a lot, but like there are churches out there that are like, we want your financial records because we want to make sure that you're, t-. you know, like we're sure. not, we're not that. That's weird. What's that?
1: That's weird, and and borders on the. Uh, Cultish. definition sorry. of cult. Totally. Okay. I'm just yeah, I'm just, just so saying
2: like, like make you make don't clear. you don't have to like check 10 boxes before you become a member, right? Like we don't you don't have to attend 80% whatever. The reality is we're Correct. doing this story mentality with the the idea that like like we've we've put a lot of time and effort in this like Rebecca said to to show that this is going to build in if you are there from episode one all the way through episode ten, as opposed to just ch- catching episode five and seven, you're gonna get a lot more out of it, right? And so we're asking more in that mentality because it's gonna be more beneficial for you and the experience you have, as opposed to like this is a requirement of you. And so like if you want to engage in the, the wholeness of the story, then like this is what the invitation is. So I think that's what's yeah. really cool about it, and it's a big, a big part. It's a big, it's a big ask for our congregation. It's been a big ask for our staff to get it pulled mm-hmm. off.
0: But it's exciting in that way. Like, I think um, to me, if I have a full day of tasks, but I'm excited about them, then that makes it so much better than a full day of tasks that I don't want to do. And so what I'm hoping is that um, this doesn't feel like work, that this feels like a joy and a journey and yes, some tough discovery, right? We ask some soul-searching questions in the journal, we're going to give you something tangible to carry with you through this journey so you have a record of how you're growing with God. Um, But my hope is that we find that energy and that joy together so that much like enjoying a really cool series, um, it's not drudgery. Right? It's excitement. Just
2: like you look forward to Sunday night every night because it's a new episode of your yeah. show. You look forward to Sunday every morning because it's a new episode yeah. of the, the series. Yeah. The whole unfolding.
1: And I guess the, the last part of this is like we're not going to leave you uh, flailing around, floundering in the, in the water. I just watched uh, 1883 last night and uh, they crossed the river and it was very dramatic. You know, we're, we're going to jump in and, and help you. Uh, and one of the ways we're going to do that is we're going to provide a resource page with every chapter so that if you, for a season, are disengaged or you know, you're know, you a new person that finds us in March uh, and you're like, what are they doing? We're going to kind of help you get caught up. So we're going to add in the little previously yep, Previously on, on. That's exactly uh, what I was going to say. Like I have it in the voice of uh, West Wing characters. <laughs> uh, but we're gonna we're gonna get you caught up. We're gonna keep you, um, you know. We're gonna have lifelines out there for you to, you know, if you fall away for a few weeks, yeah, don't worry, yeah. you're not like failing. Right. Uh, but we want we want deep engagement around this um, for you,
2: mm-hmm.
1: not for us. Well, I mean, for us, we're doing it too. But we want you thing. to do it for you, and we want we want uh, we want folks to to really really take the gift that I think is being mm-hmm. offered because it's uh, it's hard for me to fill this boxed in for an entire year
0: friends mm-hmm. so it's
1: a big step
2: for Mitchell um, let it
0: let it be known it that Mitchell had several <laughs> caring voices along the way saying do you really want to do this and he was like yes I think this is worth it so um,
1: I think this is what the congregation yeah. needs Yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, thank you so much. And to our listeners and our community, thank you. Um, Send us more questions if you have things so we can hit more buttons. buttons. (laughs) Um, But truly, thank you so much. And we're excited to journey with you through the next several weeks. Um, We are going to be online only again this coming Sunday, the 16th. So join us for worship um, on our website, Facebook, and YouTube. And we will metaphorically see you next week. Take care. Bye. The Day After Sunday is a production of White Rock Media Network. Join us next week for another look at the why behind the worship.